In John 15, Jesus tells us to be very, very careful what we give ourselves to, what we attach ourselves to, what we remain in, what we abide in, what we belong to. Because if we give ourselves to the wrong things, it won't give us the power or the fruit that we desire. So you can have like all these other things in your life that, you know, whatever, and, and, and they're not necessarily even bad to have them or to do these things, but when they become the vine that you derive all of your meaning from, it becomes really, really bad, very unhealthy. The vine you're connected to determines the kind of fruit you produce, and the question is, is it good fruit or is it bad fruit? Maybe the greater question, is it the right fruit? Is it the right fruit? Because being connected to Jesus is what produces the right outcomes. Being connected to Jesus is what produces the right fruit out of your life. Man, I'm excited today. We are in week seven of a teaching series we have been in called I Am, uh, where each week we have been looking at one of the different eight I Am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. And I've just, uh, I've been excited about this series personally. It's been a lot of fun for me just to teach through this. And uh, I've had a lot of passion, maybe you've noticed, uh, both Pastor Josh and I have just been passionate about the things we've been able to share and sort of unpack from, from Scripture. I think a lot of the passion for me uh, is because it just seems to me like in 2021, uh, man, there are a lot of different opinions. There's a lot of different thoughts. There's a lot of different speculations out there about who Jesus is. You know, these thoughts and opinions on about, about what he taught, thoughts and opinions about, you know, what his mission really was, opinions about what he should even be called. And so what we've really been trying to do in this series is just sort of cut through the noise of opinion and speculation so that we can clearly, you know, understand the answer. We can clearly answer the question, who is Jesus, Right? And, uh, and that's, that's, really, that's really what's what, what we've been trying to do. Now, our approach to that question has been different, admittedly different, and intentionally different, you know, maybe than even what you would have expected, because instead of hearing expert opinion, you know, sort of tell us who Jesus is, we, we, we've just been letting Jesus tell us who he is in his own words. Let, let him sort of just speak for himself. And what we have found so far in, in, in this series is that throughout the Gospel of John, uh, you know, repeatedly, Jesus makes some shocking claims to really articulate who he is. He makes some shocking claims to articulate uh, what he wants from me and what he wants from you, some shocking claims to articulate the kind of relationship he wants to be in with us. And what we found is that over and over throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus uses the, the, the phrase or the name, I am, to refer to himself. This is just sort of his way of intentionally claiming that he is, in fact, the God of the Old Testament. Now, there are a lot of people out there who just want to believe that Jesus was a good moral teacher. There's a lot, a lot of opinions or speculations that Jesus was just simply a good man, that he was a prophet. Some would say he wasn't very good at all, actually. You know? But there, there's people who have thoughts and opinions about Jesus. And, and the reality of that is, is like it, it doesn't matter all that much because Jesus actually never said that he was a good moral teacher. Jesus never said that he was just a, a, good, a good prophet. He said he was God. He said that he was God. And the way he went about sort of communicating his deity here in the Gospel of John and in the New Testament, the way he, he goes about sort of communicating uh, the fact that he is God is by using the exact same name that God used to refer to himself in the Old Testament, the exact same name that Yahweh used to refer to himself in the Old Testament through this conversation with Moses, this very famous encounter with Moses. It's the name I am. And by invoking this name, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing, and he's, he's seeking to really clear up all confusion. Hey, if you just think I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a prophet, if you just think I'm a, I'm a rabbi, let me just sort of clear it up for you right here. Like, I, I am God. And this is what we're finding Jesus is doing. This is, this is kind of what, what maybe is sort of woven throughout his, his, his I am statements that maybe we miss at first glance is the fact that he is, without a doubt, clearing up all confusion about who he is, letting us know from his mouth that he is God. And so we, as we continue on in this series today, uh, we're going to look at what I think could, could perhaps be the most significant I am statement of them all. Um, and, and part of that's because it's, it's one of my most favorite, you know, and, and so maybe I just, I just feel uh, that. But uh, it's found in John chapter 15. I want to throw some scriptures at you real quick here. Um, 
if you're taking notes, you can look at these scriptures with me. John 15, verse 1, Jesus says clearly, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. And then in verses 5 through 8, Jesus again says this. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So here we see in John 15, Jesus makes a very clear claim about himself, a shocking claim about himself. He says, I am the true vine. Now what I want to do here this morning is do what I've kind of been doing all series long so far, and I want to give you the full context of this uh, statement. I think it'll kind of open ourselves up to just, just what's happening here, how significant this statement really is. At first glance in John 15, what we see is that Jesus is essentially telling his disciples that the life you want, the life you long for, is, is only found through abiding in me. That's, that's really what we gather, right? What we kind of pull out and understand that he is saying. Now, the reason why we want to kind of receive this text in its proper context, the reason why we want to receive this text in its, in its full or complete context is because when we do, that's when we begin to realize that this statement is actually a whole lot more shocking than we might realize at first glance. And the reason why I say that is because if you're a first century Jew, your entire life your entire covenant with God and his kingdom is connected to temple worship. All of it. In, in fact, your whole life is connected to a priesthood. Your, your life is connected to these sacrifices. It's connected to Yahweh being your God. And so throughout their lives, these disciples that Jesus is speaking to here in John 15, these disciples, because they were Jewish men, would have had to annually, regularly make a plan to head towards the temple in Jerusalem so that a sacrifice for their sins could be made on their behalf every year. They would have understood this, traveling, journeying to the temple so the sacrifice could be made. Well, in the city of Jerusalem, one of the gates that you would walk through as you head towards the temple had this big, beautiful carving of a vine bearing rich fruit. And you'd walk through that on your way to the temple. Ancient historian Josephus talks about this, this carving this way. He says, but, at, but that gate, which was at this end of the first part of the house, was, as we have already observed, all covered with gold, as was its whole wall about it. It had also golden vines above it, from which clusters of grapes hung as tall as a man's height. So, like, you get, you get the picture here, right? They're, they're, they got to go to Jerusalem. Got to go to the temple, and as you do, there's a gate you would often pass through, and you see this big, beautiful carving of this vine and these big clusters of grapes. And so for a first century Jew, this is their understanding of their place in the universe as the people of God. Because historically, Israel had always viewed themselves as the vine. And as you attach yourself to the covenant people of God, it's through that, it's through belonging to the children of Israel that you are then able to, 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 to sort of, you know, bear the fruit of the kingdom of God. So think about this. I mean, I mean, get your mind around this. We have a temple. We have a priesthood. There's sacrifices. There's the law. And then you'd walk through this gate on your way to the temple, and this gate that you would walk through with this, this carving was sort of this reminder to you that it was the observance of all of these things that connected you to God. It was the observance of, you know, the temple and the sacrifices and, and, and this priesthood and this law that connected you to God. And it was for, 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 for the Jews, and this is, this is how they really felt their sense of belonging in the universe. And so can you imagine, like, how extraordinary that moment must have been to be with Jesus and to hear him say clearly that, you know, the temple— the priesthood, the sacrifices, the Mosaic law, they are not going to be how you find your sense of belonging any longer, but your sense of belonging and purpose and meaning in life is going to be found through me. Like, what must have been going through their minds? What must have been going through the minds of the disciples as they hear Jesus make the claim that he is the true vine? What must that have been like? Like, Jesus, are, are you serious? Like, did you just really mean to say what you just said? So let, let me get this straight. Like, you're going to replace all of this 
You're going to supersede all of these things that have been in place for like a really long time. So you can imagine, right? You can imagine. You can perhaps imagine the shock that must have been going through their minds and their hearts and their theology in that moment. Pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. And so to just sort of clear up and sort of, sort of summarize what's really happening here, the claim uh, being made, if you're taking notes, is that true life is not going to be found through belonging to a particular religious or even national identity anymore, but that it's going to be found through the person of Jesus Christ. That's what's really happening here. And it's mind-blowing. This is like a paradigm shift moment for these disciples as Jesus is sitting down with them on a very famous night and they're having a very famous meal. They're having the last supper. Jesus is, is, is sharing these words with his 12 disciples and he's telling them that like the, it's not gonna be the way it's, it's always been any longer. The life you long for, the life you want most is only gonna be available if you abide in me, if you remain in me. So we have this pretty elaborate metaphor here in John 15, right? We have this vine, and this vine is Jesus, to be clear. And there's these branches, and that's us. And we're connected to the vine. There's, there's the gardener, and the gardener is the Father, Father God, and he is taking care of us. He is tending to us. He is pruning us. And the fruit that's going to come from us is going to be the result of our intimacy with Jesus. It's really what's being communicated through this metaphor. And so this is, this is really, if, if you just sort of boil it all down, this is really a metaphor about outcomes, about what you do and how you live and how that, that determines the fruit that is produced in your life. And so what I want to do is make it very clear to you this morning. As we, as we just sort of jump into this text and kind of just pull out some truths in light of this context, I, I want to make it very clear today, if, if you're taking notes, that there will always be more than one vine to choose from. There will always be more than one vine for you to choose from. In fact, John 15, 1, the very first scripture here, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Jesus clearly says that he is the true vine, which implies that there are other false vines. That there's other types of false vines that we can attach ourselves to. There's, these are other, other claims. These are other frameworks, other philosophies. Things like success, things like social status that, that people tend to attach themselves to. And we find in verse 1 here that Jesus makes it very clear. He claims, I am the true vine, and I want you to choose me. I want you to choose me. I actually think this metaphor fits pretty well in our modern context. I don't know about you, but... I think it fits pretty well because I think that every person is really trying to answer a couple main questions about their life. I think every person's trying to answer really a couple significant main questions about their life. Questions like, what is the source of my life's meaning? And what fruit or what outcomes am I wanting to see in my life? I think every person you meet, like, like two significant questions. What's the source of my life's meaning? And then what fruit or what outcomes am I wanting to see in my life, a good example of this is like people who move to, you know, like Hollywood or, or Nashville, whatever, whatever the case. And uh, the dream for them is to make it big in acting or to make it big in music. So they re relocate to these cities in, in pursuit of that life, right? They, 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 they're going after it. And so these locations, these cities really represent a vine. And, and the, the thought here, you know, for, for the belief is that if I can just attach myself to that vine, then, then, then the power of that vine will flow through me and then I'll be able to produce the fruit from that vine. If I can just attach myself to it, if I can just get close to it. Well, the problem with that is, is this thought right here, again, if you're taking notes, that the empty promise of the dominant culture is abide in me and you will get the fruit that you want. It's the empty promise of today's culture that we live in. The dominant thought is abide in me. Abide in me and you will get the fruit that you want. And we should know by now that it doesn't quite work like that. Yet many of us get baited into looking to these other things to produce the kind of life that we so desire. Most of the things that we desire aren't even necessarily bad things. Yeah, I think that that's, that's so interesting, and I think that that's like such a, like, like a, 
uh, a scheme of the enemy, just, just, uh, just in some ways a brilliant way of sort of baiting us because many of the things that we desire aren't even bad things. But they are bad vines to derive all meaning from. So you can have like all these other things in your life that, you know, whatever, and, and, and they're not necessarily even bad to have them or to do these things, but when they become the vine that you derive all of your meaning from, it becomes really, really bad, very unhealthy. And so in some examples of, of maybe these, what these bad vines can look like if, if, if we derive, you know, the bulk of our meaning from them are things like, you know, family and even marriage. You know, if I could just have kids, that would fix it, you know, like, like attach myself to these vines. Maybe it's career, maybe it's social belonging of some sort. Pleasure, for sure, pleasure. Possessions, control, independence, recognition. Maybe it's a political vine. Maybe it's a national vine of some sort. Let's attach myself to this. What happens is we attach ourselves to these things, and the thought process is that if I give myself to this, power will flow through me, and I will have the fruit that I want in my life. That's how it works chasing after fruit that we want in our life or outcomes that we want in our life. So in response to this, just, just a couple questions here is, do you know what your source is? Do you know what your source is? Do you know what fruit you are hoping to see in your life? I find it interesting, you know, as I, I've been doing this a long time, you know, and, and, and I just find it interesting like just, just the, the, the people that I have been able to minister to and observe over, over the years, it's interesting that th- there just seems to be an intensity that, that people can tend to have in their devotion towards any given vine that they attach themselves to. And it's like breathtaking to watch. There's this like intensity to it. Like they're attaching themselves to this vine or this vine or this vine, and there's like an intensity that they have in their devotion towards it. It's like breathtaking to take in. The things that we will do when we attach ourselves to a vine that we think will give us either the power or the fruit that we want is pretty unbelievable. Pretty unbelievable. So we see this all the time, you know, like, that's why a lot of people get, get like lost in things like sports and hobbies and different interests and activities or whatever it is. This is, this is how, how, you know, certain, you know, parents can become so uh, lost in like their kids and their academics and their kids and their their, their, you know, sports futures and whatever, and they're running them here, and they're running them there, like, like, like it just becomes out of balance. There's this intense devotion. This is why people can get lost in things like politics and, you know, in a post-Christian context, which we live in, by the way, you know, uh, they talk about how, how religion is, or, or politics is really the religion of our present moment. And for, for a lot of people, that, that becomes what they attach them, themselves to, you know, uh, it becomes like the motivating factor of their life. And it's just interesting to me to see the intensity that we can have in our devotion towards any of these given vines that we attach ourselves to. It is absolutely unbelievable to watch. Jesus tells us to be very careful what we give ourselves to. In John 15, Jesus tells us to be very, very careful what we give ourselves to, what we attach ourselves to, what we remain in, what we abide in, what we belong to. Because if we give ourselves to the wrong things, it won't give us the power or the fruit that we desire. And ultimately, it will lead to destruction, destruction in our lives, and more importantly, destruction in our souls. You ever found yourself just attached to the wrong thing? You ever had a moment where you just sort of woke up and you were like, oh man, what am I even doing? Like, that is not beneficial to me. That's not even, I mean, you could be, I mean, it's not even that you're not a, not, not, not a Christian, but you're just like, man, I, I am attached to some things. I am, I am chasing after some things I should not be chasing after. You ever had those moments? You just woke up and you realized what's going on? You ever had those moments where you wake up and you're just like, man, like, like something's off in my soul. Like, I just, I just feel unhealthy in my soul. A lot of times it's because we give ourselves to the wrong things. John 15, 6, Jesus says this. He says, if anyone 
does not remain in me. He is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Being attached to anything other than Jesus will produce a devastating outcome. Let me say that again. Being attached to anything other than Jesus will produce a devastating outcome. This is why in the second half of verse 5, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus makes it really clear here in John 15 that that if I'm not connected to him, I'm not going to produce the kind of fruit that I really want to produce. Right, that apart from him, I can really do nothing. I thought it'd be an interesting example. I wish I had thought about this ahead of time. You know, if I had just been able to get this, cut a big branch off my tree or something, or get like a, like a big branch from someplace and just have it up here. You know, because like, like, like what if we had a branch up here that was huge and we all just thought maybe we could just work together and just sort of use all of the, intellect and the creativity and the innovation that is represented in this room to try to get this branch reattached to that tree. How many of y'all think we'd be successful? Anybody think we could figure that out? But like we really want to, you know, like, like we're going to work together. We're going to figure out how to get this branch from this other tree and attach it to, to this one. What, what if we took that very same branch, I don't know, let's say it was like from an orange or apple tree or something that produced fruit, and we were, we were, we were going to take this branch and work together, you know, as a, as a team to try to get this thing to produce fruit. You think, you think we could figure that out? But like, what, what, if we, what if we took this branch and we stuck it in like a bucket of water and tried to water this thing, you know? Do you think we could get that thing to produce fruit? But we've got all this, like, passion. We've got all this, all this good intention in the room. Like, all of us really want to get that thing to produce fruit. And what I found is, like, that, that's just not enough. Intention is not enough. It doesn't matter how much we want the, the, the branch to produce fruit because it won't. It won't produce the kind of fruit that we really want. And so throughout this, this chapter, the word remain is very, very significant. It can be interchanged in other translations with the word abide. Jesus is saying, I want you to remain in me. I want you to abide in me. And what it really means, it really means don't stop. It means don't leave here. Okay? Don't leave here. Stay. Remain right where you're at. How many of you know the struggle that comes with leaving church on Sunday and trying to remain in Jesus all the other days of the week? Anybody? Of course. Of course. I think it's interesting because if you're taking notes, too many people seem to be attempting to produce ripe fruit while remaining attached to the wrong vine. And what I realize is that you're always going to be producing fruit. The vine you're connected to determines the kind of fruit you produce, and the question is, is it good fruit or is it bad fruit? Maybe the greater question, is it the right fruit? Is it the right fruit? Because being connected to Jesus is what produces the right outcomes. Being connected to Jesus is what produces the right fruit out of your life. John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains or abides, right, abides in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. So the good news here about God's grace expressed through Jesus is that remaining in his love is something we actually get to do with joy. Sometimes we can hear scriptures like this taught and Jesus is saying like, like, hey, remain in me, remain in me, abide in me. And we, act, we start to like think, man, that is like some serious hard work. I, and and, and it, it can actually be, feel like this heavy burden that has just been laid upon us. Like, how do I have to remain? I got I to, oh man, I, I got to remain. I got I to abide. I got to abide. And it starts to feel like, like we, are, we are, you know, you know, we've been burdened with, with this, this, this heaviness. Because all of us know how difficult it is, Right? This is something like we get to do with joy. This is something that we don't have to earn. It's something we receive. It's not something that we perform. Abiding really means to attach ourselves to Jesus, and as a result, his life, his love, his presence, his power flow, you know, 
downhill through us to others to produce fruit. And so the call, the call is, is really to abide. The call to abide is central, the central goal of the Christian life, if you're taking notes. The call to abide is the central goal of the Christian life. This is like why we, this is like what we're doing, by the way. This is like what you sign up for. The call to abide is the central goal of the Christian life. But most of us don't, don't, don't even really understand functionally what that looks like. So we read scriptures like this. We, we go through chapters like this, and we're like, okay, i got to abide. i got to remain in him. And most of us default to some sort of, like, efforting and striving from, like, some, some like, defunct sort of religious tradition that we came from or grew up in. And we're thinking, okay, I'm, I'm getting it, I'm getting it, I'm getting it, and, and, and you're not. And most of us don't really even understand functionally what it looks like to abide in Jesus, what it looks to, like to remain in him. I really think it looks like two, two real main things, and I'll see if I have time to get into both of them, but the first one is relationship. Uh, the second one is responsibility. It's relationship with Jesus, and the second one is responsibility to produce fruit. Let me just sort of break these down for you here. John chapter 15, 9 through 10, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Massive thought for the day. Okay, like if there's, if, there's, if there's nothing else you grab and take with you today, I want you to catch this. God has never told you to build your relationship with him based on how you feel about him. God has never told you to build your relationship with him based on how you feel about him. You can put that slide up. The relationship you have with God is not supposed to be based on how you feel about him. It's not supposed to be based on how you have loved him. The relationship that you have with God is not supposed to be based on those things. It's supposed to be based on how he has loved you and how he wants you to then remain in his love. Not your love. So, so, so the, the call here, the, the words of Jesus, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. This is the expectation. This is the call. When it comes to abiding in Jesus, you know, you know, uh, fundamentally speaking, like it is about remaining in his love. God's never told you to build your relationship with him based on how you feel about him. It's about how he feels about you. We often can base our acceptance when it comes to God on our performance. You ever found yourself doing that? We can often base our acceptance on our performance, but Jesus says that he wants us to remain in how he feels about us. Not in how we feel about ourselves, and not in how we feel about him. Like, he knows that we ride this roller coaster. He knows that there's like these ups and downs, and that we're fickle people, and that you know, our emotions are high and our emotions are low, and he doesn't want you to remain in how you feel about him, or how you feel about yourself. He wants you to remain in how he feels about you. God's love, because, here's, here's why, because God's love is steady and it's unchanging and it's permanent, and it's for you. And so you have to really learn how to live into that. If you're gonna abide, you have to learn how to live into that, how to remain in his love towards you and for you. This is why in John 15, verse three, like, like the very beginning, Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. You're already clean. You're already clean. He's already done the work. It's already finished. He says, I've chosen you. This is like, hear the words of Jesus. He says, I've chosen you. Like, I want to be with you. I love you. Stay, now stay in this love. Don't leave. Don't depart from this love. And it's key to the gospel. It's key to understanding the gospel. It's key to experiencing the gospel. It's key to feeling the gospel. But most of us, I think that if we're honest, can't break the religious cycle of trying to earn our sense of worth through our performance. Like, if we're honest. It's hard, really hard to break this. David Benner did some research with, with, uh, with, with, with a group, uh, a large group of you know, people who would, who would uh, identify as Christians. And he wanted to kind of like kind of understand what went through people's minds, you know, when, when, they, when they thought of God and what do, they, what do they think of 
uh, when they think of God, what do they think God sees or thinks about them? And so he, he gave all of them this question. The question was, what do you think comes into God's mind when he thinks about you? This was the question in the, in, the, in the study. What do you think comes into God's mind when he thinks about you? Do you know what the dominant answer in the results was? The dominant answer was disappointment. When people actually sat down and they thought, like, what comes into the mind of God when he thinks about me? Most of them, most of them thought that God was just disappointed in them. They were excuses like, I'm, not very, I'm just not very good at following him. He must be disappointed. I, I, I don't read my Bible enough. He must be disappointed in me. I, I, don't, I don't pray enough. I don't share my faith enough. He must be disappointed in me. I, don't, I, I struggle with secret doubts with, with some of them. You know, sexual temptation was another. He must be so disappointed in me. I'm bitter. I struggle to forgive. God must be disappointed in me. I'm, I'm jealous often of other people. He, he must just be disappointed in me. And, I think so often, like, because we know ourselves and we know these things that exist in us, we can often think that God sees us the way that we see ourselves. The problem is that that's just not what the Bible teaches at all. It's really hard for us to break this cycle of performance. Like, I just, I just, I just got to do what I can to try to measure up. I just got to do what I can to maybe make God proud of me somehow. I just got to do it. I just got to work. I just got to work. I just got to work. Listen to me. If we truly believe what we say we believe about the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross, where all of our guilt and all of our sin and all of our shame was put on Jesus and he was punished in our place, and as a result, we received the imputed righteousness of Jesus into our account. If we really believe that, then we have to believe that our relationship with God is not dependent upon our performance, but upon his performance, upon Jesus' performance and what he did on the cross. And the truth is, is that we just struggle. Like whether we, we might believe that in our head, but we just struggle with this, don't we? We struggle to believe that what we are actually called to remain in is how he feels about us. There is no greater trick, there is no greater desire from your spiritual enemy than to try to get you to a place where you no longer remain in how God feels about you. You're convinced that God sees you the way you see you. So often, we don't actually feel what, what he feels. And it can, it can actually seem pretty unbelievable that like, God actually thinks that about, about me. Really big thought today if you're taking notes. If you do not genuinely, genuinely believe that God likes you, you're not abiding. If you do not genuinely believe that God likes you, you're not abiding. Abiding is believing that God likes you. Abiding is experiencing that God likes you. And unless you sense his love and affection deep in your heart, you're not doing what Jesus said to do. Listen to me. Unless you do this, you're not, you're not doing what Jesus said to do. Unless you experience this deep love for you, this uncontrollable love for you, you're not doing what Jesus said to do, which is remaining in his unshakable staggering, merciful, beautiful, and compelling love that is towards you and towards me. He says, remain in my love. Remain in my love. This is how you abide in him. You let the truth of what he thinks about you overwhelm the thoughts that enter your mind that are not true. You remain in his love. You remain in his love. See, oftentimes I think that I thought over the years that remaining has to do with like, man, I gotta, I, I gotta get up five in the morning. I gotta have two hours of prayer on my face. I've gotta memorize the entire New Testament. You know, I've gotta do all. The, this is how I remain. You know, I actually think that if you memorize the entire New Testament, you've probably remained. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I think that I, I've often thought that these are like things, man. I just, I just gotta be so extreme. I've just gotta be so, you know, whatever. And the problem is like, there's some truth in all of that. Like, I absolutely do need to spend time with God. I absolutely do need to get up early. 
I absolutely do need to hide God's word in my heart. I absolutely do need to be in prayer. But when, when all of that is not first founded in, in true belief and understanding of what he sees and thinks about me first, then all of that is honestly for nothing. Because if you do not genuinely believe that God likes you, you're not abiding in the first place. John 15, 11 through 15, it goes on in this chapter, and Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. That's interesting to me because I often, in my, in my uh, misunderstood understanding of, of abiding and remaining in Jesus, have often viewed it to be like hard work have often viewed it to be like, like, like a checklist or like, I'm just, I gotta get that done. I gotta get my devotions in. I gotta get my, you know? And Jesus says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So there is this connection that Jesus is making between abiding in him and your joy actually being complete. That it's not this heavy yoke, it's not this impossible burden, but that it is true life and that it comes through abiding in Jesus. comes through abiding in Jesus. He says in verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer, listen, listen, I no longer call you servants because, servant, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Abiding is about remaining in his love and enjoying friendship with Jesus. It's about remaining in his love and, and, and not losing like the truth of what he thinks in, about you and what he says about you, and then, re, and, then, and then enjoying like deep friendship with Jesus. If you think it's all about performance, then you still have the mentality of a servant who does not know what God wants. He wants fellowship with you. He wants friendship with you. And some of you just can't believe that the God of the universe would be interested in your life. You just can't believe that. That the God of the universe would be interested in your struggles. That the God of the universe would be interested in your cares. You know, one of the most significant things I have learned as a pastor is that it doesn't really matter all that much what God says about you if you don't believe him. It really doesn't matter if you don't believe him. It's, it's true, but if you don't believe it's true, it doesn't really matter. It has no effect on you. It does not affect you deep in your soul. It doesn't radically transform and revolutionize your identity as a, as a, as a friend of Jesus, as a son or as a daughter. You gotta believe it. Like, you got to believe it. It's got to be true in your inner man. It's got to be true in your, in, in your inner woman. Like, what God says about you, he wants you to remain in his love. Remain in his love. And this is why it is so important for his words to remain in you and in me. John 15, 7 through 8, we're kind of skipping back for a minute, but Jesus says, if, if, you, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. If you remain in me, if you abide in me, and my, and my words remain in you, right? This is what's happening here. So all throughout Scripture, you know, we, we see these promises of like the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures being, being, you know, in us, and that it has an effect on our life. You know, Psalms talks about how can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? Thy word or your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Right? There, there's, these, there's these promises, there's these, these, these uh, pictures in Scripture of us, of us remaining in the words of Jesus and how that has an effect on our life. This is the intentional deposit of the Word of God into us. 
And it's what allows us to then draw on it in any given moment. So you're going through some different, you know, different circumstances. You're going through some challenges. And if your, out, your outward circumstances are just filled with all types of like confusion and struggle, but like internally there can be this like peace, there can be this, this confidence, this strength, because you have hidden God's word in your heart. You have, you have intentionally deposited his words into you. And then you're able to call upon it at any given moment. Everything we long for, as far as Christian fruit, comes from intimacy with Jesus. Everything we long for, as far as Christian fruit, comes from intimacy with Jesus. And as, in, as encouraging as that is, it can also be incredibly frustrating because fruit is not a machine. It's not a program. It's not a technique. And it's not a formula. You cannot shortcut the fruit that comes from being connected with Jesus. One of my favorite psalms, I've actually preached on this a couple years back, Psalm 1. So it's, it's an incredible psalm, but it speaks of the person whose leaves do not wither and who is, is planted by streams of living water. It tells us that this person in Psalms 1 is, is the person who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. Meditates on it. It's not, it's not referring to the Christian that just sort of binges on Christian content. Just sort of binges on some sermons. Some worship music, right? Some podcasts. But there, there, there's something different going on here in Psalm 1. This is a person who like meditates on the law of the Lord. Who meditates on the word of God. Who like breathes it in and breathes it out who slows down enough to actually take it in and let the word of God transform them. It's about relationship. It's about relationship. It's about remaining in Jesus, remaining in his love and letting his words remain in us. He's the vine and we're the branches. As I'm starting to wind down here, you know, I briefly just, just want to give you this other thought, and, and that is just that not only is there, is there do we accomplish this, do we abide through relationship, but, but we also have this responsibility then to produce fruit. Like, a result of abiding, a result of friendship with Jesus is that the right kind of fruit really, really comes out of our life. John 15, 5, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, you'll bear much fruit. Okay? That fruit is obviously on his mind, the right kind of fruit. John 15, uh, 16 through 17, the same chapter, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear what? Fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. And then verse 12 of the same chapter, you go back just a, just a handful of, script, of scriptures and Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you as I have loved you. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. That's what, we're, that's what we are like tasked to do. That's what our responsibility is to do, is to remain in his love, remain in his thoughts towards us. And then the way we start to really produce the right kind of fruit in our life is that we begin to love others as he has loved us. Well, that is, that is completely counter to everything culture is about right now. That's completely opposite to everything the world idolizes and worships right now. It's all about getting even. It's all about canceling people out. The right kind of fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, the right kind of fruit that Jesus wants to have come out of my life and your life is this fruit that comes from being attached to him. And it's this fruit of loving people as he has loved us. What I have noticed is that whenever I get to a point in my life where I'm not remaining in his love like I need to be, that I am actually unable to love well. Like it's actually an indicator that I'm not very attached right now to the love of Jesus. 
I'm not, I'm not remaining in his thoughts for me. I'm not remaining in his love. It's, it's actually an indicator. It's something that I can tell as I react a certain way or I, I, don't, I don't respond in, in love. It's, a, it's, a, it's an indicator to me that I am not remaining like I need to be. Because when I'm not remaining correctly in the love of Jesus, I do not know how to love properly. Jesus wants us to love other people out of this love we've received in response to this love we've received and experienced. To do the very same thing. To do the very same thing. So there can only be one number one. There can only be one number one. And this I am statement makes it very clear. Jesus is dealing with priorities here. He's dealing with like, which vine are you going to attach yourself to? George McEwen in his book, Essentialism, says this. He says, the word priority came into the English language in the 1400s. It was singular. It meant the very first or prior thing. It stayed singular for the next 500 years. Only in the 1900s did we pluralize the term and start talking about priorities. Illogically, we reasoned that by changing that word, we could bend reality. Somehow we thought that by pluralizing the word, we would now be able to have multiple first things. There can only be one number one. There can only be one number one. Would you stand with me this morning? This quote right here, it really speaks to the illusion that is present in the time of history that we live in right now. There can only be one first thing. And Jesus is saying, make it friendship with me. Make it friendship with me. Last thought. Last question. And it's this. Will you prioritize friendship with Jesus above everything else? Above everything else. This is the one thing you have to get right. This is the one thing you have to get right. Because without this, everything else that we do is hard. You gotta get this right. And if you get this relationship right, all the other fruit just comes. What this church needs more than anything, what this city needs more than anything, is people who are friends with Jesus. More than anything. At this moment in history, at this moment in our nation, at this moment, what this world needs more than anything is people who are friends with Jesus. And if you get this one thing right, everything else flows out of that one thing. But if you get it wrong, you get it wrong, nothing that really matters is going to like flow out of your life, will happen through your life. So the big question is, what is your vine? What are you, what are you trying to extract power and meaning from? What fruit, what outcomes are you wanting to see in your life? And will you prioritize friendship with Jesus above everything else? Will you make sure that any other vine that is trying to bait you and to convince you to attach yourself to it, that you're gonna reject that? You're gonna walk away from that? That you know it's not worth it? Will you just bow your heads with me for a moment as we close in prayer? If you're here today and you would just say, Pastor Jordan, this is absolutely me. This is absolutely me right now. You would say that you would say there are some other vines that you're attaching yourselves to. 
and you know it's not producing the kind of fruit that you want to see in your life. You, you would say that there are these other vines that are competing for your attention, and today is the moment, today is the time where you're going to make sure as you walk out of here today that you are attached to Jesus. You're, you're getting ready right now, you're prioritizing your friendship with Jesus above everything else. Could I just see you today? Could I just encourage you in prayer today if that's you? Like today, this is just like that moment. Like, like why let it pass us by? This is you. Yeah, amen. Amen and amen. You would also just say maybe some of you today that you're not sure that God likes you. And in fact, one of the, maybe the biggest hurdles that has been in the way of you abiding in Jesus is that you're not even sure that God likes you. And that being a Christian has been hard. It's been painful. Hasn't always felt life-giving. Today you would say, I need to walk out of here believing the truths of what God says about me. Can I just see your hand in here today? I want to encourage you in prayer right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you. We come before you, Jesus. And I pray, God, over every person in this room who raised their hand, every person under the sound of my voice, God, that the truth of your love and passion for them would penetrate every lie, anything that has been in the way, any barrier right now. I thank you that you like us, God, that you want to spend time with us, that you desire deep friendship with us. And so, God, would you begin to just wake us up would you begin to wake us up to the reality of what you see and what you think when we come across your mind? I pray you'd begin to just set some people free in here today from some, some really toxic thinking that has actually stunted the growth of their spiritual life. God, I pray freedom and deliverance in Jesus' name. I pray for deep, and life-giving friendship with the God of the universe. And Jesus, we just come before you now as your people, and I would pray, God, you would just see our heart posture in this place of repentance for any vine that we have sought to attach ourselves to that, that is not you, any false vine, God, where we have sought to drive meaning and purpose and all this other fruit from God, we just come before you and we repent of anything else that has become a higher priority. May you be, may you be the main thing. May you become the most important thing in our lives. We give you thanks today in Jesus' name. Amen.